0: Alright, so we'll be reading uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 2 verse 4. Uh, the reading should come up on the screen behind me, but for those of you um, who, if you just want to know, there are blue Bibles that are available by the welcome desk, you're welcome to take them anytime as well if you want to have a physical Bible. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by, appointing you, by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay careful, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to
1: his will. Hey, do keep the conversation going over a cup of coffee after our service. We'd love to make one for you. If you like the service outline, we have a number of printed copies at the front as you come into this, um, to, to our gathering, but also we have the on one online, scan the QR code and you can uh, view it from there. Always great to follow along, find out what's happening in the service. But as we begin today, I want uh, to tell you a story of the late Queen. And maybe you heard this um, recently. It's about a security guard. And him and her were picnicking in Balmoral in the Scottish residence. And two American hikers came up to them for a chat. And they asked the old lady if she lived nearby. And she said, I live in London, but I have a place up here that I visited for about 70 years. And the hiker said, they're near the Queen's residence. And they said, Have you met the Queen? And the Queen assured them she had not indeed met the Queen, but her gentleman friend had on many occasions met the Queen. To whips, you cue the gasps of oh, shock and horror, you've met the Queen. And then they said, Can we take your photo? And they took selfies with the security guard who'd met the queen and one with the old lady just because she was there as well. And they went off their way and left and then they chuckled to each other and the the queen turned to the security guard and said, imagine what their friends will say when they show them their photos (laughs) of the man who met the queen. You would feel a bit of a fool, wouldn't you? Being wowed by the bloke who said he'd met the Queen, yet next to you, breathing on you, is the Queen. And so we come to the book of Hebrews, written so that you and I don't have our own moment of missing out on majesty. Not the Queen, not the awe of the Queen, but the awe of Jesus. The book and its central message are all about strengthening the hearts and the minds of Christians, Jewish Christians, in fact, hence the name Hebrews, who in the past had once suffered for Jesus, but who were tempted to turn away and return to another way of life that they'd left behind. And chapter after chapter after chapter, the author of Hebrews shows them why Jesus is better, wooing them, warning them away from being tempted to think Jesus is a little bit less majestic than you'd imagine. Why would you ever want to drift away from this majestic Jesus? Back to all the bits and pieces that Judaism only ever intended to point to about how wonderful he is. It would be like asking the queen to take your photo of you and the security guard. Amazed that he knew the queen when behind the camera is the queen herself. Which is why at the beginning of Hebrews, in chapter 1, the big idea that we'll get across today and I hope you see is that Jesus is the better revelation of God. Jesus is the better revelation of God. Therefore, pay attention to him. Don't drift away from this Jesus. He is enough. He is what you need. And perhaps this morning you're here and you've felt the drift. Perhaps you've started to drift. Well, would you? By the grace of God, move away from whatever that is and back to the majesty of Jesus. Let's pray as we begin. Our great God, you have revealed yourself to us through Jesus, perfectly, wonderfully, beautifully, majestically, and we just want to be captured by the awe and majesty of him and nothing else. So, Lord, as we look through these passages today, just draw our minds and hearts just one step closer to you, I pray. In your name, Amen. So here's the outline that we're going to follow through these uh, first two chapters of Hebrews. Uh, there'll be some subpoints along the way, but the big idea is found in 2 verse 2 to pay attention, pay most careful attention so that you won't drift away from Jesus. And his point, the author's point, comes out in three ways. Jesus is the better way God speaks. Jesus has a better status than angels. And then because of that, Jesus, watch your drifting in 2 verse 1 to 4. So let's begin with verse 1 and 2. It says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed arable things and through whom also He made the universe. You see, one of the unique claims about Christianity is the God that we believe in isn't playing a cosmic game of guess who. He's a God who communicates by speaking by revealing himself, whose voice carries weight, who actually wants to be known by people. And so in the Old Testament, for example, in the book of Exodus, we see God communicating to his people through his divine voice, except the people were terrified of God. They said, Moses, please, you stand between us and God. We don't want to hear this voice. It frightens us. And then eventually, God gave his people prophets as well, who would speak god's word of blessing or cursing calling god's people back to the covenant they're like covenant enforcers prophets are just like covenant police officers calling people back to follow god in his way and on and on it went in their history god speaking through someone else to communicate a message but then as hebrews points out god has given a new revelation now in these last days which is just so much better than that Last days here refers to a period of time in which God's final way of communicating has arrived. These last days began when Jesus rose from the dead. They will remain the last days until Jesus returns to rule and reign and make all things new. And so we read at the beginning of Hebrews contrasting points showing what today is like, what these last days are. In the past, contrasts within these last days. God spoke to our ancestors as now God speaks to us. In the past, God spoke through prophets at many times in various ways, but now he speaks through the Son. But this Son is not just receiving revelation like a prophet. He is the revelation of God. A revelation of both the glory of God, the voice of God, and the salvation of God, in which no prophet or angel or person could ever make known could ever achieve, could ever reveal so wonderfully and perfectly except this eternal son. This new way of speaking is so much better because he is the speaking, royal, creating son. He's the speaking son. The one who was close to God, who was at the Father's side, has now made God known to us. How? In the form of a person, John chapter 1. You see, God is communicating to us through someone like us a person, not just giving a sign or a vision. No, no, it's far more personable, far more relatable, you see. Jesus, the Son of God, is a person. But, Son is not just a family title, to show Jesus is like us, human and divine as well. It's a ruling title. So, Hebrews is very careful to dance between the two natures of Jesus so that we understand who He is, because He's the royal Son, God is the great king. His son shares his rule. Son is overlapping with Lord, the heir of all things, it says. A little bit later in 1 verse 8, we read, you, to, to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is one of justice. You've loved righteousness, hated lawlessness. God has anointed you with oil, the oil of joy. See, this Jesus is the son who loves justice, hates evil, loves righteousness, And in our world, it's divided into jurisdictions and countries and and people rule for a few years over a patch of land or people, you see. But Jesus' scope of rule, listen to how big it is. It is not only longer, it's eternal. It's wider, all things. And it's not just one people group or kingdom, but it's all creation. God is speaking to us and all of creation through His Son who rules and reigns but he is also the creating son. The son is eternal. He rules for eternity because he's existed for eternity. And like his father, in the same way that a child often mimics some of their parents' characteristics, this son performs divine acts like his father, making the universe, right? And he does so because he has the very nature of God. So in 1 verse 3, those wonderful verses, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. It's as if the author's thinking of our sun as he says this. You know, the big burning hot thing that we mentioned in all ages. Think of the sun. And just as a sun's rays are how we experience the warmth of the sun, so too God communicates to us via his kind, radiant sun. We get a sense of how hot our sun is because its rays hit us, and we'll feel that very soon as summer arrives. And so, too, we get the fullest understanding of God by looking at His Son as well, the very radiance, it says, of God's glory. You see, just as Moses was in the presence of God, this bright, pure glory shining around him, And as Moses was there in the presence of God in Exodus, it stuck to his face. And as he came off the mountain, the people said, cover yourself up with a paper bag because God's glory is so wonderfully bright and holy we can't be around you. But in this new way way of speaking, there's no sticky face glory here. There is a whole person burning brightly the glory of God in the form of Jesus the Christ. And we had a glimpse of this moment, didn't we, in the transfiguration in the Gospels? Jesus' humanity being peeled back just for a moment and his divine nature was just bursting through on the mountain like Moses was. And then later on in the Gospels of Jesus, he says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's a staggering claim to see Jesus yet see God himself. But you see, Jesus is the perfect balance of divinity and humanity. He's the speaking, creating Son sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so the glory of God radiates out into the Son, the Son who created, who is royal, who speaks, who maintains and sustains all things by his powerful word. This Son, and he speaks. And what does he speak? He speaks about what he has done. Notice the past tense of the rest of this verse. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The sun quite literally burns away our sins, you see. No longer being burnt up by God's holiness, we could say. The sun purifies us from sins. And then once he does this, he sits down. You know, in the temple, in the Old Old Testament temple, there were no chairs. The priests wouldn't sit. They would work, work, work in shifts constantly. And then Jesus comes and he purifies our sins and then he sits down, meaning it's finished. God's glory is seen in revealing Jesus, in making atonement, we would say, for our sins, and then he sits down at the, at the place of honour next to God his Father. Because of who he is and what he has done and his exaltation, the Hebrews author is saying, no heavenly being can compete with him. No earthly human can compete with that. Therefore, or so, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Now, that really does seem like a strange link, talking about Jesus and all he's done to then jumping to angels. So, let me explain, and let me explain using some wheat picks. And that's even more of a link. You're going, what are you saying? But think of it this way. My daughter loves Wheat Bix. No matter what day, what do you want for breakfast? The answer is Wheat Bix. To her, it is literally the best food ever. Do you know what? I don't think it's the best food ever. I know there's much better food than Wheat Bix. And now Hebrews wants us to think like this as he talks about Jesus. To see Jesus as the better revelation of God, better than other heavenly beings, is like moving from being impressed by Wheat Bix. To discovering a whole new food category. And in this sense, he's talking about angels. They're like the wheat bix They're close to God, they're powerful, they're mighty. They're not the exact representation of God, like the sun. They sit around the throne, they're messages of God, yes, but Jesus is even closer. He's in a whole different category. Jesus is the amplification of the message of salvation and angels exist to amplify him. They're impressive, they're warriors of light, they're powerful, but they have nothing on the sun. Don't be impressed with wheat bix when you've got a whole other category of food in front of you. And so now the author pulls upon a whole series of Old Testament verses to do a character witness for this Jesus. To show 1 verse 4 and why it is that Jesus is better. And we learn that Jesus has a better name than the angels. We learn that Jesus is worshipped by the angels and that he rules over the angels. All to make the point that while these angels, these heavenly beings, are in the presence of God like the Son and who do speak on behalf of God like the Son, they're inferior. They're messengers. But the substance of the message is Jesus himself. So in verse 4 and 5, Jesus has a better status. I mean, for which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son? Or again, I'll be his father. It can be helpful to think of angels as God's staff members in the heavenly realms. Jesus is the CEO. Don't push that too far, but that's the distinction. Not only does he have a better position, he has a better title and name. Because angels just means messenger. That's what it actually means. Angel means messenger. And while the Bible does tell us the name of a few angels, the category of how they exist is messenger, not image of God like humans, not radiating God's glory like the sun. They're just messengers. No messenger is called the sun. Verse four. These messengers are just passing on revelation. And who is the revelation? The sun. The angels have no grace or forgiveness. The sun is full of both. You see the distinction. He has a better name and he's worshipped by the angels. Notice in verse 6, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let God's angels worship him. You see, the trouble that the author wants us to avoid is typically what happens when you're confronted with one of God's staff members. You end up glorifying them you kind of can't help it. They're, they're warriors of light that are fearful and powerful. You fall down and bow down. In Revelation twenty-two verse eight, John saw an angel and he fell down and said, "Oh my goodness, you're amazing!" And the angel says, "Get up! No, you've missed it. Don't worship me. I'm the messenger. It's Jesus you want to worship. What are you doing? I'm not God. Angels are not these winged creatures with harps. They're not passive, sitting on clouds." They're frightful. They're fearful. And these otherworldly beings have their priorities dead right. They worship Jesus. Like at his birth, at Christmas time, what happened? The shepherds on the field, what did they see announcing the birth of Jesus? Angels. Myriads upon myriads upon hundreds upon hundreds just filled the sky. And they were saying how wonderful humans are? No, how wonderful Jesus is. Or when Jesus returns one day, who's going to accompany him? Angels, they will praise the sun. Don't be impressed by them. Join them by being impressed with Jesus, you see. That's his point. Because the sun rules the angels, your throne, O oh God, will last forever. Your, s- an, your scepter of justice, that's the sun. Isn't that great? Political rulers have unstable terms. Governments struggle for majorities. Red tape, the opposition gets in the way of everything. Yet God is ruling, never to be outvoted or losing to another party. Not even from another heavenly being like an angel. It turns out they're just servants sent out as he sits on the throne. Verse 14. Now, this last verse has puzzled many. We have to remember it's not a quote from the Old Testament here, the author is now finished. But it's continuing our idea from 1 verse 2 about the new way that God is speaking. How is the new way God speaking? In these last days, through His Son. He's not speaking through angels anymore, like when the law was given at Mount Sinai. In this new way of speaking, what he, the author's doing is clarifying the role of angels in God's agenda. They're servants who look after those who inherit salvation. What does that mean? Our author is putting them in their proper place. That the God of the universe would send his son to rescue you and his messengers serving for our sake means we have a wonderful God to turn to. Get that priority right. Don't worry about the staff team. Do you know the glorious son? Who has purified your sins, who is guaranteeing that one day you will inherit, who will inherit salvation, his salvation. In the book of Hebrews, salvation is both a past event. You can say, I have been saved at the cross. It's a present event. I am being saved day by day. And it's future. I will be saved when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And in this moment, the emphasis lands on the third one. I will be saved. He wants to see the future of where we're headed that will happen at the return of Jesus. And along the way, do not get distracted by angels or anything else. It's only the Son who's worthy of worship because he makes salvation possible, which is what the author says in 2 verse 1. For this reason, we must pay careful attention or pay all the more to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. For this reason refers to all of chapter 1 and he's drawing us to a point. Watch your drifting. You know, Hebrews is full of warnings like this. Moments in which the author Wants us to pause and think about who you believe, who are you following? Do a spiritual checkup just for a moment. Because then he says why we shouldn't drift. Four. The message spoke message message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Don't forget, the same God of the Old Testament has revealed himself in this new, greater way in Jesus. And if the revelation is even crisper and clearer than what it was spoken through angels, and if you hear, yet reject this message and neglect the Jesus who is speaking and revealing God, God's greater salvation, it says, and if you reject that Jesus, there is nothing left but punishment for your sins like what happened to God's people in the Old Testament. You see, this is a real warning. But the Christians, they hear the warning and therefore it won't apply to them, you see. Salvation in Jesus enables you to hear this warning, to pay attention so that you will not drift. And the warning, too, they're meant to wake us up to those who are not confident yet in Jesus to listen to this Jesus, to put our trust in this Jesus, not an angel, not something else, but the Son of God. Think about it like this. Christians are like kites. Went to the kite festival a few years ago at Semaphore and it was wonderful. Lots of small kites, big kites, maybe you've been to it. But the one thing they all had in common, the illustration falls down at this point, so don't push it, but you'll get it. One thing they had in common was they were tied to someone's hands. and Sometimes they let go, but... You know where I'm going. Tied strong in the hands of someone at the ground, strong, stable like an anchor, and up they went. And some of the kites were flying fast and up and spinning in the wind. Some of them were a long way away. Some of them were very close. And the Christians like a kite. You have a God anchoring you in Jesus, what he has done. And while you may blow away for a bit, Jesus has got you. Anchored to him held in his hands, safe and strong. And because his salvation is so much greater than anything else, he will never let you go. If he's earned it for you, he will guarantee it. But be careful not to neglect him. The author wants to give you confidence and certainty in the God who's revealed himself in Jesus. Which is why in the last uh, two verses of chapter 2, 3 and 4, He says, this salvation's been spoken of by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts from the Spirit. And his point is that these ongoing ways is how God reminds us of his Son so that we won't drift. God uses his Spirit in his church to keep reminding us about the Son's gloriousness and majesty from a sign or miracle pointing to the Lordship of Jesus to the gifts of the Spirit to serve one another, pointing one another to Jesus. It's about testifying to him over and over again. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. You see, God is not hiding his majesty like the Queen was in hiking boots. His blazing glory is right in front of us in the eternal sun. So watch your drift. There are lots of wonderful, great, amazing things, awe-inspiring things in this world, lots of things commanding our attention and time, lots of voices and lots of ideas, lots to learn. But perhaps you've been distracted with God's staff team and not the air, not the sun himself. Perhaps you've been rubbing up against this majesty of the son of Jesus all your life, but you've never really noticed it. A bit like the hikers. Maybe that's you being so amazed at what's going on that you've failed to see the son is there in all his glory. And perhaps the pressures of life has just tempted you to take your eyes off Jesus just a little bit of the majestic King and Saviour and Eternal Son. And you just need the reminder right now, today, Jesus is the better revelation of God. And so can I ask, why not move away from whatever is making you drift and come back to Jesus? Because if you glance down to 2.18, you find Jesus is always ready to meet you in your temptation to drift. Because as the Son... He knows exactly the pressure you face to abandon God's way. Jesus gets it. For he himself suffered when he was tempted, like you. But as the eternal son, he never did. And he can meet you with sympathy and grace in all your temptation and frailty. Because after all, the better revelation of God has better grace. Father, thank you that you are so kind that you revealed yourself to us in Jesus. Today, each of us, just impress upon our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we would hear the warning. We wouldn't drift because you're so good. There is nothing compared to you. No angels, no other people, no heavenly beings, nothing is like the sun. We want to worship you and I pray for those of us who are struggling with the temptations of life in every way possible. May they know that you're a God who understands and who is there with grace upon grace as we're tempted. So, Lord, help us to drift back to you and not away from you. In your name we pray. Amen.